Thanks for joining us this week. Andre Duboucher is with me. Hello. I said it correctly, did I not? Oh, you said it absolutely right. Some yeah. people do pronounce the S. Now, I, I know I've heard you pronounce it, so I know how you pronounce it, so mm-hmm. I don't know why I asked. However. It's Andre Duboucher, and yeah, for some reason there's an S in the... Well, I guess for some reason we don't pronounce the S. Right. It should right. be Andres yes. Duboucher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... And yeah, for whatever reason, my parents just never bothered with the S, and so I just I stuck with it. I guess Andre Dubuchet sounds more uniform, like it all belongs. It does. To, it, it does. It all sounds French that way. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would hold you up in the middle of it. Right. Otherwise, um, thank you for being here. My pleasure. Sure. Um, so let's very quickly. Obviously, you're a stand-up comedian. Mm-hmm. You've written for Conan. You've written for yep. who else? Uh, well, I currently do write for Conan. You do still, right? And uh, yeah, and. Um, other TV jobs I've had were uh, there was a show called Talk Show with Spike Ferriston yes, on right. Fox, which was a good show, which uh, didn't get the uh, didn't get the you know publicity it deserved or whatever. And right. uh, then there was a show called Best Week Ever on VH1 yep. that yep. I, I wrote for um, uh, briefly just for one summer in between gigs at that Spike Ferriston show. Is that as hectic as it seemed then, like it uh, might have been? That was yeah. I mean, it was not too. Bad. That show I, I really enjoyed working on because a, lo- a lot of that job, it was more of a producer job really than a writer job because mm-hmm. the bulk of that job was writing questions that you would ask to stand-up comedians, mm-hmm. like a, lo- a lot of very funny people, and then they would riff and you, you would just do get a lot of uh, footage of them riffing on camera and then you would decide what to use of that <clears throat> and edit together along with a, a producer and an editor edit together a package mm-hmm. uh, that ended up being you know 90% funny because of who the comedian was yeah. not necessarily anything you did you know? right 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 so uh, but it was still a lot of fun you got to work with all these funny people and uh, the people there were really nice and it was a it was a fun environment and it, yeah the hours were not insane that's good by any means but in terms of actually like writing comedy uh, it, my current job is clearly the yeah my favorite <laughs> the, the champ in that regards yeah so. Um, so you wanted to talk about the SNL, the best of the cast album that they released that was not that long after the show started. Right? It was only like 1976, yeah. I believe. And yeah. I was looking through my, I was looking through my, uh, limited vinyl collection. Um, and it jumped out at me and I rem- because I remember, it's funny, I, I, in that collection, there's that famous Steve Martin album where he's got the arrow through his head. Sure. Um. And I'd always thought, like, yeah, that must have been a big influence on me. And then I thought to myself, did I ever listen to that? <laughs> I don't know if I did. <laughs> and I know I loved Steve Martin. Sure. And sure. I know that I, a lot of my, my friends in high school and stuff loved that album and, and loved Steve Martin. But I wasn't sure. That did you? Did your phone just go off? My phone just went You're off. the host of the that podcast. never happened. Uh, <sighs> I'm, I'm going to sure make a call now. Now you should. Um <laughs> But, but I, I realized I don't think I ever actually listened to that album. It was just sitting there in my collection. And then yeah. I, I came across the uh, Saturday Night Live one, and I do remember uh, very clearly uh, a couple of bits from that uh, as a kid listening to it. And that's why I picked that album. And also SNL back in the 70s and 80s and uh, even into the early 90s was pretty much what made me want to be a funny person. What, uh, do you so, run, do you know why you picked up the album? Did you or did you buy it yourself, or was it given to you? I don't re- I don't remember how I came about it. I mean, it must have been something my parents got me, mm-hmm. or that I got at like a flea market. We used to go to flea markets a lot in, back in Jersey, and mm-hmm. um, I, maybe I picked it up myself. I don't remember. I do remember that like my fascination with that show started at a really young age. Mm-hmm. 
when I was barely able to understand what the heck I was watching. Uh, right. But I just I just got a kick out of the fact that we were up very late. Sure. You know what I mean? So, uh, and yeah, it was like the original cast on that album. It was, you know, Aykroyd and Belushi and Gilda Radner and all those guys. Yeah. So. My God! Now what? <clears throat> I apologize. I really did. I seriously thought I owned this album, and then looked through all two hundred plus of these, and I don't have it anywhere. So what? What kind of stuff is on there? And is it stuff that you remember seeing on TV first? No, this is stuff that it's, it's, I was exposed to first listening to it on the album. Okay. And I think it was just recordings of what had aired on TV because right, you right, can hear right. the studio audience laughing. Sure. And stuff, and uh, there were two. Bits. Well, there's actually no. Now that I remember, there's three bits that I remember clearly. There was Gilda Radner. Let's talk dirty to the animals. <laughs> uh, or was it? Wait. Or was that from her own album? Maybe I'm getting all mixed up now. It might be. I have it over here. Because look. there's no way she would have cursed on oh, right. network TV. That is true. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I'm just getting. I, I told you I had a bad memory <laughs> when we started. Well, that's. I might as well talk about that song real quick because I, I always got a kick out of that. It was. Uh, I can curse, right? Oh, yeah. So it was like, the animals, the animals, let's talk dirty to the animals. Fuck you, Mr. Bunny. Eat shit, Mr. Bear. Etc., <laughs> uh, etc. Et and it was like a very cute kid song uh-huh. but with filthy, filthy curses. So that must not have been on that SNL album. Because right. there's no way she would have said all that on network television. <clears throat> mm-hmm. But the things that were on that album were... Um, uh, with it, like You know that, that ad campaign that Smuckers used to have with a name like Smuckers? It's got to be good. Mm-hmm. So there was... Uh, it was just like an extended riff on that where the brand names that they were giving the jam mm-hmm. just got more and more disturbing. <laughs> That's uh, so it was like, you know, with a name like Death Camp, <laughs> it's got to be good. With a name like, you know, like, oh, geez, they have disease names and stuff. It was, it, it, I'm not sure, since I didn't actually see it on TV, I'm not sure if it was framed as like a bunch of ad people trying to come up with a brand name in like a conference room or if it was actually right. like a commercial or if it was just Dan Aykroyd and some other people on stage just talking to the audience. Yeah. Um, but that was that was like the first sort of list-based uh, comedy that I was exposed to. Yeah. I was like, oh, they're just getting tons of mileage out of these highly unlikely names for a brand of jelly. It is so weird that that's, <laughs> I, that's I like it. a genre of comedy, isn't it? Lists. I mean, Weird Al Yankovic makes a whole lot of material sure. out of just that, you know? Sure, I, yeah. I mean, lists, you know, top ten lists on uh, David Letterman. Or uh, even now, like, there's, uh, you know, funny funny slideshow lists or whatever. Sure. On, like The Onion or on uh, HuffPo or whatever. And, uh, you know, lots of websites. My cat. So, what are you doing, cat? Well, I'm petting her oh, a lot. Oh, she is... Uh, I'm just uh, a weird giving her a spa treatment. She doesn't. <laughs> Apparently, seem to like. she loves it. There's tons of fur coming off. <laughs> I'm so sorry, <laughs> it, but it, it, it and actually not not unlike your your uh, your own piece about finches. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. That that's you know I I love incorporating like anytime I can incorporate just a funny list into one of my bits. First yeah. of all, it's fun to write. Second yes. of all, it's fairly easy. And, yeah. And and eats up a minute or two. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh, yes, yeah, so that that Finch bit has a list of really boring book titles in it. Um, there, you know, that that other bit about the TV, the the uh, made up reality shows has mm-hmm. a big long list in it. Uh, there's a thing that's going to be on my next album that's just an excuse for me to list uh, made up animals. It's like a bit about mutants or whatever that you'd run into in the, in the post apocalypse. It's <laughs> awesome. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's just I always. Yeah, lists are great. <laughs> I just I, I I think like early SNL is is would 
is great to be exposed to when you're young because it's still simple and experimental and they're still figuring themselves out. Like even the format sure. was not nailed down yet. No. Because it was more of a traditional that. host. The host was really kind of there the whole time, wasn't really, and they did stand up on it. Yeah, I mean, that that happens sometimes today. Like you'll have Louis C.K. Um, or Zach Galifianakis just do stand, their sure. own material as mm-hmm. a monologue. Um, but yeah, I, there were some really early, really, really early episodes of Saturday Night Live where uh, you wouldn't even recognize it as the show that no. you know today. Yeah, you know where lots of stuff is just happening out uh, on in the sort of at the mono mark in, on stage for the live audience. And mm-hmm. George Carlin's just there, and it seems like you're just watching a George Carlin yeah uh, stand up concert for a long time. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, um, and then cuts to these but, people who were relative nobodies at the time. It's so total nobodies. To me. You know, what I mean, mean? That's, that's why they were the not ready for primetime uh-huh. players. That was you know. I mean, it's kind of I, like I've never, I've never worked on that show, but I've always been a huge fan of it and uh, have absorbed some. I mean, it, there's like such a level of ownership. I, I, I feel like all, all comedians have towards that show. Like, sure, it's the you know for so many of us, it's the thing that made us want to be comedians in the first place. Definitely, we, yeah, we're very invested in sort of the ebb and flow of of the cast you know, over the years and. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, the the different eras and it's, it's almost like being a fan of some sports team you know it's, it's like, true who's your you know who's your favorite if you could put together the fantasy cast right from any people from any era who would yeah. you put together oh well I would take you know you, I got to start with Phil Hartman I got to have a role sure. player I got you know um, but uh, yeah I mean it, it's it's just this it's such an institution it's been around now for uh, I guess coming up in forty years yeah. That's insane. And for any any TV show to last that long is insane to begin with. But mm-hmm. it's a live sketch comedy TV show that's basically like the benchmark for what's funny in our American culture for yeah. decades. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like it, it's basically this thing that uh, I think we kind of take for granted now Definitely. as being as being a part of the fabric of our. Pop culture. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. My fellow Americans, I have called upon the networks tonight to make two pressing issues clear to the American public. Number one, the possible default of New York City. And number one, my stand on the Ronald Reagan announcement. The point is, do I really know what the issue is? Relevant, irrelevant, fault, default, these are just hard words. Which brings me to my first point. Let's take a look at the recent popularity polls, shall we? No problem. from New York, it's Saturday night! NBC Saturday night! I mean, if you watch those old, old ones, you almost look, you almost feel like you're watching something in a black box theater or something yeah. like that. Um, it feels so it much very smaller. loose and casual. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it was just, what other, like in, in this day and age, what other show has just get gets a chance to just like, well, you know what? You f- you'll figure out what you are. Mm-hmm. You'll just it's we'll, true. we'll give you just several years to figure out your format. Yeah. And 
you know, it's uh, and it's sort of it's, uh, it's the only thing keeping variety alive because even though yeah. it's they don't have magic acts coming on, it's still music and comedy mixed. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, every every few years, you're still getting nobodies coming on, and you get to see whether or not they make it. It's not you know, it's not a competition in the same with competition for them for sure, but for us, yeah. we're watching somebody learn their craft on TV in a way. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's funny. It's like there's people that, um, I don't know. Fred Armisen's a good example. Like he's basically one of my comedy heroes now and, mm-hmm. and he's clearly a genius and yes like, but there were i think many seasons when he was sort of one of those uh you know uh i don't know what they call them featured players or whatever like at the end of the opening credits oh, yeah. and also mm-hmm. and then they list like four more people who you see in like one bit every three weeks or whatever yeah um he was one of those guys for a long time i think and i was just like he didn't really register you know uh and then at some point, and this happens to a lot of people on that show, at some point they sort of get, it's almost like they get sort of called up and or given more responsibility and uh, a chance to shine. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, that's why that person was was hired for that show yeah. four years ago. It's because they knew he was this talented. Yeah. But for whatever reason, they didn't get them a chance to show it until now. Or, or maybe it just takes that long to sort of get in the... Um, I've heard it's a very interesting, strange work environment or whatever maybe it takes a while for people to uh adapt or sort of yeah. find their voice within that environment and there's some people so. too who i know that lauren likes to keep close tabs on and it's like no you can stay around you can stick around and there are other people who he's genuinely testing it's got to be so strange right to oh, it's got to be so stressful too yes i mean because you're uh to i mean it's it's i would imagine to be like a funny sketch writer performer comedian actor or whatever like and to get hired on that show you for most of those people, I'm sure it's the culmination. I'm sure it was their goal. Yeah. Like, that was, I made it. That's the thing that they were trying right. to get for mm-hmm. third, 20, whatever. A lot of them are pretty young, 25, 30 sure. years. Sure. Um, so, if it works out, great. And, you know, for the you know, the luckiest of them, they'll be, or the most talented of them, they'll become movie stars, basically. Yeah. You know, and then, uh, the, then there's people who are, like, the one-and-done people. Several of whom actually go on to be like super successful anyway. Oh sure, but it must be a, it must be at least very crushing initially to feel like I got the thing that I've been striving for all these years. Yeah. Oh, and now it's over. And uh, oh crap. I think it's yeah. why it's easy for some comedy people, uh, at least early on, to be like, "No, nah, I hate that show now. It sucks." Like so, they they can feel like they never strive. It's always to be been on awesome that. and terrible. It's oh yeah. Oh, things. and it's absolutely and, true. Like, yeah. There's no, I mean, there are certain eras where the cast is has gelled to. I'm talking like I'm some sort of expert on SNL, but I'm not. <laughs> I'm a, just a big fan. Uh, that's so, all it takes. But uh, and I, yeah, and I like to analyze it, or whatever. But there's there's been eras where the cast has gelled tremendously, and therefore maybe it's more consistently great. Yeah. But there's always shitty stuff, and there's always awesome stuff. For sure. I, I mean, you could look at I'm sure every, any episode in the 40 year history and randomly pick an episode from any era and find at least one really good thing absolutely in each episode and maybe at least one really terrible thing in each episode but they're the the amazing thing is they're being given a chance to experiment exactly week after week after week in this format which i really you know if that show were to start tonight mm-hmm. it would probably fail yeah. i would think because I... the network would be like what was that exactly half that stuff didn't work right you know and that one guy seems pretty great, but that other one person who you said was really talented mm-hmm. stunk in that one bit. All right, forget it. You know? so, <laughs> yeah. 
It's true. I mean, so. it, it, and that's only because SNL is just a sort of base layer of comedy. It's going to be there for a while. It's this kind of uh, this kind of flypaper that everything else sticks to, where kind of yeah. a lot of things are held to its standard, mm-hmm. where it wasn't before. It's just like, well, let's see what fucking happens. Yeah. And within five years, it was the biggest thing on TV, I think, you know? Yeah, I mean, in less than five. I mean, some of those early guys, like, well, Chevy Chase didn't even go past the first season. That's true, And was right. a movie star almost instantly. Immediately, yeah. Bill Murray showed up in the second season. Sure. And then stuck around for maybe, what, three or four years? Mm-hmm. And then he was a movie star. Yep. And Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi. Yeah. Movie stars, right off the bat. And then by, they were all gone before 1980. Yeah, that's true. You know, huh? to be replaced by the, like, the Eddie Murphy years and mm-hmm. stuff. So... Um, it's kind of an underrated incredible. cast, actually, at that point. I, I really like the Eddie Murphy years. Oh, yeah. Eddie Murphy and Joe Piscopo and that whole gang did plenty of funny. I mean, obviously, Eddie Murphy was always was brilliant, but... Wasn't he 19 when he started? Something he like that. He was 19 years old. Oh, that that's just drives me nuts every time. And uh, already, he basically came out... Uh, he came onto television, a fully formed, like, you know, genius movie star yeah. talent already. So it's that's a rare thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Clearly. I wish... Just going off on another tangent. I wish that guy was more uh, was more movies and was doing more stuff. Oh yeah, no, so, I, so I agree. We've talked about that on the show a lot. Oh, have you? Yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 one of those things that I think is like most comedy people want to see that happen because a lot of us it's he's not doing stuff that we watch anymore unless we've got kids, which I don't have kids, so right. I'm not, you know. I want to see him do more things like uh, in uh, Dreamgirls. He was fantastic oh, in that he movie. Was so good in that. And so I think I kind of got robbed of an Oscar. He yeah. should have won. He should have beaten. Uh, Alan Arkin, who was great in Little Miss Sunshine, sure. was basically doing his Alan Arkin. Alan stick. Arkin, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, had yeah. very little screen time too. And Eddie Murphy was fantastic in Dreamgirls. Um, sometimes I wonder if he like he he was like so disappointed that he didn't win that Oscar that he was like, ah, screw this, I'm, right. I'm going back into hiding. Mm-hmm. You people don't appreciate me the way you should. <laughs> For sure. Uh, and it's got it's got to be difficult too since he started comedy when he was like fourteen or fifteen like and insane. just his whole life that he's been doing this stuff I and mean, that's why he's so good but I right. mean it's just to have been lauded for so long from that young like how could you not sort of feel like you deserve it? I mean I think most of us would yeah and and also how could you I mean maybe it becomes harder to experiment and to try new things. Without fear of, because if if you're holding the standard up to like, all right, I'm one of the greatest movie star comedians of all time. Everything has to be platinum yes. awesome when I do it. Yes. Otherwise, it will be considered, you know, less than or a failure or whatever. Absolutely. So then you kind of robbed yourself of the ability to test things and try new things and and to like you know and to have the freedom to fail and discover things. So That's true. It, it might make you uh, gun shy, I guess. I don't know. Well, Eddie I'll never Murphy, have that problem. Eddie Murphy, you're, wel- you're welcome on the show to uh, to contest that if you like. Come on, and we'll talk about it. Well, you can both come on and talk back and forth. You can ask. Sure, me, I'm sure he really cares about my opinion <laughs> about his career. I'm sure I'm just one of you know only a handful of people to ever really analyze uh, oh, right. yeah, his career and to to have uh, an opinion about what he should be doing. Mm-hmm, I'm absolutely. sure he's never bombarded by <laughs> by that you yourself i mean writing writing for conan i mean it's it's kind of a variety environment you yeah. i mean do you work strictly on sketches are you stri- that's my thing yes yeah. i think in in uh i've written this for the show i've written for all three of his shows but, yeah um just because i started at the very end of late night and then threw the whole okay. tonight show debacle into tbs yeah and uh in those three, you know, in three shows in five years, it's insane. I've maybe gotten, like, I want to say, like, literally two monologue jokes on the air that uh-huh, whole time. Uh-huh. So, no, it's not my 
that's not my uh, it's not my area of expertise. I'm terrible at it, and also it's not what's asked of me. Thankfully, on, right. on that show, I sketch stuff and um, uh, you know remotes and and you know just bits and uh, and I also get a chance to act on camera a lot, which is a lot of fun. Right. Um, that's my favorite. I mean, when we get when we actually do live sketch comedy, uh, that's there you go. That's why I. The couple times Dude, I've been yeah. to see the new show live, uh, I've been only mildly disappointed because every show's good, but I've just there haven't been sketches on the two, and I'm just like, fuck. Oh, I mean, you just yeah. I, yeah, I really want to see one live. I want to see Brian you come Stack. out or Brian Stack come yeah, out yeah. as somebody. You know, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, it is one of my favorite things because it keeps the spirit of his late night. Yes, going. Yeah. And no, it's, my, it's my favorite thing too. I think for a lot of the writers, it's our our favorite thing, and uh, also just because selfishly we like to. You know, get live a live audience response to our stuff, which which is you know the environment we all kind of came up in. Yeah, you know the whole writing staff are there. We're all either former uh, improv guys Mm -hmm. or stand up comedians, Um, and only there's probably only a couple of people on the staff who were never a performer to begin with, who just like started as writers, and that's what's crazy. But everybody's got a you know pretty much a performing background, so whenever we get a chance to soak up live laughter mm-hmm. uh, and and you know plus it's on tv i mean oh come on it's like that that feeling and if it goes well that feeling will make me happy to be alive for you know a solid two weeks <laughs> which doesn't seem like much but for me it's a lot <laughs> you've just had a heavy session of electroshock therapy and you're more relaxed than you've been in weeks all those childhood traumas magically wiped away along with most of your personality. Now is the time, time for Spud. Spud! Filled with the full, rich flavor of potatoes. Spud, the beer brewed for people who can't taste the difference. When you say Spud, just put your mind on hold. Do what you're told, and open a cold. Refreshing Spud, just watch your life go by. No need to try when you got spot. Oh, spot. Spot, the beer that made Boise famous. Do you feel an aesthetic difference writing, like uh, sketch guys writing or improv guys writing or stand-up guys writing? Is there? Mm. Can you tell the difference in their sketches? Does it, or is it just in person yeah, by person? It's person by person. I yeah. mean, um, I, I just mentioned Brian Stack earlier. I mean. Mm-hmm. He, his improv background is very clear because he can. Yeah. Uh, you can often write things simply by you sit at your computer mm-hmm. and he talks. Really? And you're like, okay. That's and insane. And you're just typing away and he's like, oh, well, what about this? This all right, sounds good, Brian. Great. <laughs> uh huh. And we're done. You just wrote a sketch because you were just, you know, being funny. Yeah. In conversation. Right. You know, it's like, boom. Um, and his, yeah, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's, well, yeah, he's a genius, but like he, he can just uh, go off in uh, you know conversation and and you know and riff and uh, his improv background is very clear in, in, mm-hmm. in that case. He makes stuff up on the spot brilliantly, and uh, one of the he's one of the the only guys who can really sort of keep up when uh, I mean Conan is like. It's going to sound like I'm just sucking up to my boss sure. or whatever, but he's like pretty much the funniest person I've ever met. And, I, I and, understand And that. probably the smartest as mm-hmm. well. And it's kind of like a uh, typhoon of comedy when he, you know, like when he talks to the whole writing staff, he's basically 
performing and, and mm-hmm. in conversation and just being really funny and, and you know he's he's getting a he's getting a kick out of making us all laugh or whatever. Sure. Uh, and Stack is one of the few guys who can sort of keep up and keep the ball in the air and and, mm-hmm. and add to whatever riff Conan is doing. And uh, it's pretty it's pretty awesome to watch. Or whatever. It's like getting a free. Uh, comedy show mm-hmm. during my work day you know every couple of days so do you when you so you don't remember how or when you got the the, the snl album but was it a thing yeah. that was just for you that you sat and listened to by yourself did you listen to it with a family or you have friends that you would listen to it with? Uh, i don't recall i mean probably just by myself i'm an only child mm-hmm. and uh i don't think it's the kind of thing i could picture I, again, I have a murk, very murky <laughs> any, anything prior to this, you know, last couple of days. My memory sucks, but uh, uh, yeah, I, I would imagine I just listened to it by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't seem like the kind of thing that me and my father and mother would just sit around doing <laughs> right together. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, did you ever have any albums or shows that you shared with friends that you made friends over comedy? Did you ever have that? Or is that some some people that doesn't happen to till college or even after that? But I'm curious. Well, I think it was probably the other. I I don't know if I made friends over comedy. I definitely <laughs> discovered comedy through friends. Sure. Though I would I would say that like, um, being introduced to things like Monty Python, which that was you know, if you were to bring up one other thing that was like the pillars of my comedy sensibility mm-hmm. if, if you start with snl monty python's number two mm-hmm. right there it was uh just discovering that you could be so smart and uh stupid mm-hmm. at the same time right just uh, again similar to some of the older steve martin stuff uh that was like okay uh, that's that's it that's what i like it's yeah like, you can be incredibly smart and eloquent and bring me and logical and Utterly stupid and in an absurdist and uh, and filthy or whatever all at the same time. It was like, great, I'm sold, perfect. Um, but yeah, like I would, I would, I discovered Monty Python through friends. Uh, the books of um, this guy Douglas Adams who mm-hmm. wrote a novel called The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah, and I read uh, the first probably four books in that series. Um, but the first, the first two of those books specifically, and the radio play that oh, okay. uh, they did on BBC, I think it was BBC yeah. or NPR, um, based on those first couple books in his uh, series that in- greatly informed my comedy sensibilities. Um, that, see that, uh, what was it? That, I want to say like sophomore year of high school, which would have been... 1986, 87 or so. Mm-hmm. I'm 43 years old, so whatever, uh, whatever that was. That uh, like almost every morning in homeroom, my friend Jeff, who's still a good friend, would basically res- he he was the only one who like had a TV in his bedroom mm-hmm. in high school, so he could like sort of stay up and watch uh, late night with David Letterman. Lucky uh, while his parents were already asleep or whatever. Mm-hmm. So he would come in and basically we just we would listen to him say verbatim what the top ten list had been Holy shit. the night I love before. It. I love it. And so that's how he soaked up attention and yeah. you know, that's how he got his, his rocks off and like uh we'd bond over just how funny those were. Mm-hmm. And uh we bond over uh 
there's an author named Dave Barry mm-hmm. who I don't know if he really gets the comedy comedy cred nowadays. I think Not really. I think a lot of comedians would probably look. I, I hate to say it, but might look down on his stuff as being too Midwestern or they, Middle. It American. feels like dad humor to a lot of people. Dad I humor, think, right. you know. Well, to me, when I was seventeen, it made me laugh till I was crying. So, yeah, that's all know. that counts, though. So uh, and there was a lot of absurdist elements to his to his writing. Yeah, stuff. definitely. Um, but yeah, like David Letterman, his stuff, Monty Python, um, SNL. I mean, these are all the things that we just. Uh, Steve Martin again. We, yeah, we just kind of bonded over. What was it like the first time you got to be on set of Late Night? Because I mean, terrifying. <laughs> I bet for me, I was very. I, I had. Let's see. The first time I ever. Well, the first time I was ever on camera in a bit was uh, was on Late Night, and I I was already like a fairly seasoned live performer in the mm-hmm. New York City comedy scene. The alt, whatever, comedy scene, whatever right. you want to call it. I've been doing it, I had been doing it for, uh, you know, 12, 13 years. Shit. So, being on stage and performing for a live audience was was not a big deal yeah. to me. But then there was something about the ca- the lights in your face and the cameras Damn. on. And, oh, I got to wait for the red light on the camera to Oof, talk. Yeah. Right. And so it's not just like a, you're not just like completely like... You know, acting live in, in a sketch, you're you're waiting. There's these, these little logistical and technical elements that you also have to take into account. Where am I looking? Mm-hmm. Uh, is, is the camera on me yet? I gotta, you know. Oh, the cue cards are there, but but whoever I'm actually supposed to be talking to is over. Is not quite over there. Oh, They're kind of over there. So oh I want I want to just look at the other actor, but then I need my line. So I have to. Jesus. You learn to start. Like now, I love it. Now yeah. I love cue cards because. You're basically just reading. You don't have to memorize it, and and the cameras do the work of making it look like you're talking sure. at the other actor. Or whatever. Sure, sure. But um, so the first thing I ever acted in was uh, one of the other writers on the show is named Jose Arroyo, really funny guy, and he used to do these bits on late night where he was called like I think it was called like the European guy or something okay. like that, Euro guy, where he was always sitting in the audience and mocking American oh, culture, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. how European culture was so <laughs> superior, right? And it was always kind of vague what country he was supposed to be from mm-hmm. it was just like you know a mishmash of like spanish german french <laughs> italian whatever and uh in this particular bit i was like some knucklehead american you know dude who punches him out at the end of his <laughs> bit and i was i was so nervous about like getting the fake punch right mm-hmm. and, like, you know punching across someone's face without actually hitting yeah. them and and uh, the ti- getting the timing right and oh man that was I, th- I I seem to remember it going fine and everything, and I might my part was so tiny, mm-hmm. but it stressed me out t- to no end. I can't. And now I love it. Now I just like love being on camera and just being like you know, having the lights on my face and, and, mm-hmm. and the cue cards right in front of me, and I feel like uh, at that point all you have to do is sort of ride the. You know, and it, it, you also start to learn that it's okay to start talking before the camera's on you. They'll okay, find, yeah, they'll sure. find you. You know, mm-hmm. it's okay to improvise a little. They, mm-hmm. They'll all, you know, there's there's a director and there's cameramen and there everybody knows what they're doing and they'll yeah make it all uh, make sense. I mean, as a longtime fan of anything Conan has ever done, uh, it's one of those things for me where I kind of also like it when shit goes wrong, oh, especially yeah. when he acknowledges it. Absolutely, I, so that is one of my favorite stuff. things. Yeah. 
but obviously you have to still do your best and just yeah. if something goes wrong hope conan loved it i suppose i mean not that he seems like a tyrant but it's one of those things where if you know it's it, like, if you don't get it technically right it's not as big a deal right as long as it's there's always right. comedy to be milked from from anything so mm-hmm. it's like if it goes i mean the only thing that's not good the thing the thing you don't want is for something to go smoothly and just eh fall flat and that's it yeah like what you want is it to kill mm-hmm. or for it to fall apart and disastrously so that he can make fun of it <laughs> right and get laughs that way you know so it's a very and, weird and, dynamic you know, though it is and you never really tr- you, you never try to make something fall no, apart of course you just, you know. of course but uh but yeah the, the last thing you in the world you want is for something to just get a couple of chuckles and it, it all went it went as planned and that mm-hmm. was, and it just didn't get the laughs you thought dog vomit monkey pus we offer you a choice of two of the most repulsive brand names of jams you've ever heard of. With names like these, this stuff has got to be terrific. We're talking fabulous jam here. Save your breath, fella. Here's a new jam we've just put out. It's called Painful Rectal Itch. You'd have to go a long way to find a worse name for a jam. And good? Mwah. With a name like Painful Rectal Itch, you gotta bet that it's great. Mangled? Baby ducks, that's right. Mangled baby ducks. Picture a jam so good that you'd dare to call it mangled baby ducks. Great jam. It's a beautiful jam. This is it. 10,000 nuns and orphans. 10,000 nuns and orphans? What's so bad about that? They were all eaten by rats. Oh, it's so good. Hold it, hold it, everyone. Your attention, please. I have here a jam called. Oh, God, are you in? Oh, Oh, it's so good. It's sick making. Oh, that's got to be great jam. <laughs> so if it's great jam you're after, try this one. The brand's so disgusting you can't say it on television. Ask for it by name. Did it occur to you when you first, like, went to Late Night, though? I mean, were you, did you have any nostalgic feelings about Letterman and all this stuff? Or were you, was it just like, no, this is my job now and I'm going to... Oh, no, I had a lot of nostalgic feelings. Like, I was a big Letterman fan and um, big Conan uh, fan as well. I mean, Late Night with Conan started... In '93, right, I right as I was in my uh, senior year of college. Okay, and uh, perfect timing. Yeah, perfect timing, and um, and I was, you know, I watched. I I was. That's what made it so intimidating is that I was a big fan of the show before yeah. I got there, and uh, I think it kind of took me a while. Like we were talking about before, like you know, people, you know, get taking a while to maybe adapt to the for sure to the. The thing that they're this sort of institution that they're suddenly a part of. Yeah, I think it took me. You know, I started writing in what January two thousand nine for him, and mm-hmm. then, geez, I don't know if I was. It, it was maybe a year and a half before, like, I was cranking out stuff that I was really, like, oh, I'm proud of this, and this is my sense of humor, right. and it's going well, and it took me like, oh, yeah, a solid year and a half to sort of get my bearings. Yeah, and. uh you know, I I don't know if that's normal or if I just took me a longer time because I'm kind of a uh, prone to anxiety or whatever. Right, but, right. Uh, yeah, so I you know n- now it feels second nature, but yeah, it was definitely uh, a very big deal to sort of learn to forget that this is like oh I'm I'm working for this thing that I'm a big yeah. fan of. I just have to do my job and. You're also adapting to a format, <clears throat> a format you're only used to watching, right? You're not used to creating something that fits into that format. That's right. got to be strange to come into. It's very strange, and then all the all your expectations sort of get dashed when you when you realize how um, everything's put together. It, mm-hmm. You know, it's not some, 
it's not just a bunch of people goofing around. It's like it's very yeah. professional. And, yeah. And there's a lot of a lot of people doing a lot of jobs you you weren't even aware of as just a guy who watches TV. Sure. That have to be you know that uh, have to all work uh, in concert, and it's uh, it's impressive how many how much talent is behind the scenes and um, uh, how everybody kind of is able to take a bunch of essentially a bunch of reply all emails every day mm-hmm. and turn it into a one hour uh, late night talk show every night. That's so strange. I and mean, how, just, how much yeah. time is, 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 you know, everybody in a group in a, in a room together? How much is that of the day? Uh, the writing staff? Yeah. Uh, probably, tw- you know, twice, uh, an average of twice, three, yeah. three times tops. Uh-huh. And sometimes none. Yeah. Uh, sometimes never. That's crazy. Um, but I would say it averages one, once or twice a, once or twice a day. We're all in the room. And together. the rest, you're just apart doing your thing. Yeah. The rest of the time, you're either so in I your office mean, writing, or you're in uh, someone else's office writing with them, mm-hmm. or you're down in the editing bays editing a piece that you already shot, or yeah. you're off shooting something, mm-hmm. or you're rehearsing something, or you're. Uh, I guess those are all the things. Those are those are possible those seem like doing. all the things. Yeah. Or you're goofing around, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> right. Um, but the days fly by, yeah, it's because uh, there's it, really you're doing a million different things every day, and every day is different. So, when you start out as a stand-up, are there any specific influences that you can think of? People let you maybe just took a lot of inspiration from because it, mm-hmm. when I when I when I watched your stand-up, uh, I mean, it was reminding me bits here of this person, bits here of that person. Very specifically, right. the Finch bit reminded me of Monty Python, and I'm like, I fucking love this. Yes, like it's yes. so much, you know. But like, you use your voice a lot. Because you're blessed with a very right. deep voice. Oh, thanks. And I'm just wondering, like, maybe is there was there some was it just this is my thing and I can use this, or was there another like an actor or an act that you watched that maybe they use their voice beautifully? Maybe I can do something with that. I don't. That's I'm a curious. good question. The, you mean the whole the whole talking in a big booming? Oh yeah. I mean, know. there's a little Phil Hartman that it, it yeah, reminds sure. me of. You know, um, that's where I always default to because he was a god. He, yeah, that that's he's it still bums me out to think about how yeah. how early we were robbed of that guy he yeah fantastic um but uh yeah i'm trying to think of who i think for me like the the big booming voice thing was just almost a like i was terrified of being on stage for a very very long time okay and yet for some reason still forced myself to do to do it yeah i'm not sure why i was just punishing myself until <laughs> until i got good at it but, right um i uh and to this day i'm never really like myself when i'm on stage it's always some slight it's never my real personality it's always some slight adjustment i never really talk about myself Mm -hmm. i always need to sort of have a high concept premise or some character or some bit that i'm doing to be comfortable on stage and i think the big booming voice was just another you know i was always a big fan of of uh big rousing speeches and movies Mm -hmm. and, and shakespeare like not that i know much about shakespeare but like that shakespearean air sure. of things and like uh one of my one of the earliest things i wrote f- for myself to perform was like a like a uh, a medieval sort of warlord type guy addressing his army after uh-huh. they had just been in battle and so i immediately like for that bit i adopted that sort of like you know my warriors are you know kind of <laughs> vibe and then i enjoyed that very much because like oh this is a great uh it's a great shield for my insecurities uh-huh. because i can you know it's always, you know, pretending you're a hundred times more confident than you are is like a good, uh, uh, 
you know, antidote for for what you feel like inside, which is, uh, you know, uh, fat kid in seventh grade who's getting beaten up. Right. Uh, So the big booming voice and the the sort of the few bits that I use it in and the the sort of Shakespearean tone, it's like always made me feel very powerful and comfortable on stage. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, yeah, for whatever reason, I was like, oh, okay, I'm funnier this way, so I'll keep doing it. Right. (laughs) You know. It's comfortable to be genuinely silly, though, because I mean, that that juxtaposition is one of the things I think that makes it work so well, is to make say a list, even saying the word Finch with that voice is funny. Yes. (laughs) Uh, One of my favorite, like, uh, yeah, my favorite thing about that bit is, is, uh, I mean the 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 sort of filthy beastie boysy t- tone of voice that I use towards the end of it. Yes, like I I enjoy that part a lot because that's where most of the laughs are. Mm-hmm. But my favorite part is actually the long, dry, boring stuff mm-hmm. before it. Yeah, because because I know the audience is like, "What the fuck is right. this guy doing?" And in the back of my head, I'm like, "I know that they're going to be laughing in a couple minutes, so <laughs> right. I'm I'm enjoying the sort of." feeling that I'm wasting their time mm-hmm. for a while and I'm talking in this sort of you know professorial tone and the, and just like dwell like dwelling on the fact that I'm talking about books about finch mating habits mm-hmm. which is something no one gives a shit about and you know well maybe which is something that like like you know five people on earth care about and I'm trying to make an audience of whatever 20 30 40 50 people pay attention to me I just, I don't know that that's the stuff that always uh tickles me yeah the most it's like that's right i'm on stage and you're gonna listen to me <laughs> list a bunch of not even all that funny book titles most of them are the exact same thing which and, is my favorite part. <laughs> exactly and i'm gonna repeat myself a lot and you know what that's okay and i'm enjoying like that's that's the feeling of power and like uh-huh. it's like uh yeah that's uh i don't know how to explain it. this is yeah you're gonna sit there and listen to me and the fact that i know it will get funny mm-hmm. makes me enjoy this part right even more yeah how do you, i'm curious then for somebody who does like bits and does characters and does not do a lot of like necessary i mean you don't do a lot of like you said you don't do talk about yourself that much i'd say you're not playing yourself no i've often i there's tons of notes in my little you know those little moleskin notebooks that we all carry around sure. like i have tons of notes in, in all those notebooks you know I'll often start a page. What would I talk about? In the, I'll, I'll write this question out. What would I talk about if I was actually a quote-unquote real stand-up comedian? <laughs> and, I, you know, I make lists. I'm like, well, yeah, there's there's tons of things I have opinions on, and there's tons of things, you know. But then, it, well, I, I don't know. I, I might try it someday, but I think what mm-hmm. it boils down to is I think I would be too, like, you know, depressed to talk about that stuff sure, or whatever. No. I don't know. It's like I, I'm... You know, I've only been a f- decently happy, well-adjusted person for the last maybe ten years of my life, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And not that I had, by any means, not that I had a hard childhood or or sure. life growing up. It, I had a very comfortable upper middle class existence. Yeah. But for whatever reason, I somehow was miserable that entire yep, time. I don't. I, I don't under. That. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like my parents were evil by yeah. any means. It's yeah. not. It's you know I. I was given a good life, had good friends. Um, somehow I found a way to be full of anxiety and anger and depression for that entire 33 years really. or whatever. And then at some point I snapped out of it and realized that there was life could be fun and mm-hmm. I could enjoy myself. So, 
Yeah. So anyway, like long story short, when I think about like what I would talk about as a stand up, I, I get bummed out because it's yeah. like oh, a lot of that would you know, the bulk of my life is still that period that I was just, uh, you know, the best way that I can put it is like that feeling you have when oh I've I've got a uh, a midterm exam this afternoon that I, n- I never studied for I completely yeah. forgot to yeah. study for yeah 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 shit. So I that's how I felt twenty four seven for thirty some years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I totally really, get that like, too. Like literally, not even mm-hmm. kidding. Like no, in the pit of my stomach. I hundred percent relate. Post traumatic stress disorder from no from nothing from yeah. nothing. Uh huh. Yeah, there was no trauma <laughs> to, to initiate at all. And now weekend update with Chevy Chase. What do you mean? No, you remember on the freeway that, that truck that passed us? I swear they could see your head, <laughs> honey. It did not look like you were napping. I've got it. Good evening, I'm Chevy Chase, and you're not. Our top story tonight, Cuban Premier Fidel Castro announced that he is pulling out of Angola. A frustrated Angola could not be reached for comment. pardoned for all Watergate crimes today by the People's Republic of China. (laughs) Honoring the ailing former leader, the Chinese have named a new dish after Mr. Nixon called, of course, sweet and sour dick. (laughs) The United Nations General Assembly passed a resolution equating Zionism with racism. Black entertainer Sammy Davis Jr., a convert to Judaism, was quoted as saying, what a breakthrough. Now, finally, I can hate myself. Well, that's the thing, so, too, is if it wouldn't be funny to you, it would never make material. Right. You know, you can't make it funny, and that, that right. makes perfect sense. But I think, like, some people do find their voice by being personal, by, like, suddenly going personal because they weren't, but then you've found a voice by not, by doing characters, and I'm wondering, right. like, what you're pulling out of yourself, like, there's, why? Yeah, there, there's little nuggets of personal sure. stuff, but they're, they're so uh, disguised mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you'd probably need me to explain right. where that comes from and how it how it's remotely personal to me or whatever but yeah. they're in there and they're just buried under layer and layer and layers of characters and premises and stupidity yeah i guess it must so. be your commitment to those characters though that 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 makes that kind of thing work because again some people don't react to stuff that doesn't feel personal they don't re- sometimes right. people reel against characters they don't like it oh I've, and i've experienced that many times yeah, yeah. yeah I've, there have been many shows where i i felt like i was busting my ass on stage to very little response from the audience and then the next guy gets on stage and he's like you wouldn't believe uh what i what just happened to me uh at that you know diner uh, mm-hmm. last night and yeah. get a, tell some real story that might not even have all that many jokes in it or whatever but he's being truthful and sure. honest and real and uh you know that's fine too there's there's uh, a lot of people who are h- hilarious that way yeah um but every time i've tried to you know go that direction I feel very uncomfortable, and then the mm-hmm. audience knows that I feel uncomfortable, and then right. no one's enjoying that. So, <laughs> yeah. why not just you know? We'll see. Like I, I might, I would like to think that I could evolve in one, some direction, but I'm not going to sure. force myself to be like, I got to be the guy who talks about personal stuff now. No, because, exactly, exactly. Because Louis C.K. is so awesome, mm-hmm. and so therefore we all have to try that. You know, right? I'm, you know, uh, and he is actually probably one of the one of my favorite. Com- oh, he is one of my favorite comedians right mm-hmm. now, and probably every other person on the planet. But uh, I'm not going to try to 
go in that direction just because of that you know no 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 and i mean again so. everybody evolves but in their own strange ways because i can i can i remember seeing him on conan very early because i honestly i didn't i didn't fall in love with conan's stuff until like three years in i was too young to get it i was too stupid to get it well and yeah like, and also that's when i, I mean they got it to be it's that's when they hit their stride for was, sure you know you know guys like brian mccann yeah, and Brian Stack. Well, Brian McCann didn't show up till ninety five. Oh, right. Two years in, mm-hmm. Brian Stack didn't show up till ninety seven. Four mm-hmm. years into yeah. the show. So, and those are the two guys who I always associate with. You know, all the sketches and definitely, and stuff, so definitely. And I, I just I remember yeah. seeing uh, Louis C.K. on there making some really. It made me laugh, but it was one of the stupidest fucking jokes I've ever heard in my life. And then to like skip forward, and then you know I wasn't following stand up when he hit big, right. and everybody's like Louis C.K. But I'm like. Wait, the guy who made this joke about the sign, sign everywhere, sign jo- song, like he right. made a really weird joke about that on Conan, and like, holy fuck, this guy has just become because I'm not watching him in a in a fucking in a club every night. I don't get to see that guy evolve. Yeah. Um, can do you sense your own act evolving, or is it just a thing that happens and you're like, oh, suddenly mm-hmm. I'm here now? Yeah, that's a good question. I I think sometimes I. I I don't know if I've evolved all that much. <laughs> when when you look at all my stuff, like I'm, I'm coming out with another uh, album probably later this. Well, I guess it'll. I mean, it's almost all recorded, but it'll probably mm-hmm. probably won't come out till this fall. Or okay. But um, when I look at all the stuff I recorded on the first album and I, all the stuff I've recorded for this one, mm-hmm. like if you listen to all of it, I think you would get. I think you would get bored very quickly if you listen to all of it straight through mm-hmm. in a row mm-hmm. because a lot of the pieces have similar structures mm-hmm. um and uh yeah i don't know how much evolution is is actually going on <laughs> it's like i would you know i would i would listen to them on shuffle with a bunch of other things so that you get tastes of of, of different things once in a while but you still uh, enjoy it so much you i can I, tell you can I tell it. i absolutely you know? love it and yeah and i can't <laughs> wait to um we'll see if i can adhere to this but the goal is not to do like you know for example the, the stuff on the first album i haven't done any of that material in a, a long time now mm-hmm. i don't intend to and um so the same i hope will be true for the stuff i recorded for this one yeah and just kind of get it out there and then uh you know and and there's uh, material wise on both of these albums there's a wide range of you know stuff there's stuff i've written as early as like 98 Mm-hmm. And as recently as this year, you Shit. know what I mean, spanning the whole time period. But That's like awesome. now, we're getting to the point where I've kind of cleaned out the the vault. Uh-huh. Like there's not much left in the in the reservoir, so I have to write pretty much all brand new stuff. If I if, if there's going to be a third album in another two or three years or whatever, yeah. that'll have to be all written starting now. So that's what I'm excited about. Is like yeah. maybe there some evolution might take place. <laughs> Who knows? Or not. Just a bunch of dumb, you know, lists again. Who but can, it's crazy but. to not recycle if you're doing what you're doing. So, I mean, that's that's the, that's the amazing part of it to me is that you're doing bits and not... Like, because people can do a new year, a new hour every year because if, if they're doing personal stuff because right. they're drawing from actual shit that happened. But to not do that, to be able to keep drawing from stuff that isn't personal is kind of mind-blowing to me. So, I'm, I'm, obviously, you have a mind for it because you write sketch. That's... Yeah, it's, it, they are thing. basically one man sketches, mm-hmm. you know. So it's you start with the premise, and then, or sometimes uh, just an accent or, mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. like, well, this it'll be fun to talk like this on stage. Yeah, here's what, <laughs> you know, what 
why would that person, you know, be there in front of a live audience? All right, that's a decent enough reason. Now let's write a bunch of dumb jokes right. to, to fit into that template. Are you and, big on uh, word choice and syntax? Is that like, do you yeah. need it nailed down to um, the word? Yes, I know. I, mean, I used to. I used to be like again. I had bad stage fright, so I used sure. to need to have a monologue memorized so perfectly, yeah. to down to the comma, you know, mm-hmm. and and uh, and if I didn't, I would flounder on stage and it would go terribly, okay. or I or I'd give up halfway through and right. just be like, uh, you you folks don't need to see the rest of this. All right, good night. Oh, man. To, to an audience that's just like, huh, what? And I've, I've even rough. done that. I've even done that fairly recently, uh-huh. uh, earlier this year when I was just, I think, depressed one night or whatever. I was at that place, the Virgil, okay, doing a, a bit. And like halfway through, I was like, you folks aren't enjoying this, and I'm not really enjoying saying any of this. So <laughs> oh I'm just God. gonna, I'm gonna stop wasting all of our time. Well, <laughs> get on with the night. And like, I just felt so hollow, and I didn't even feel embarrassed or depressed. Uh-huh. After that, I was like, uh, okay, well, I guess that was a waste of time. I'll get back on the horse tomorrow. Um, well, but anyway, like back, you know, in like the late 90s when I was starting out, I needed to have something memorized so perfectly. And if I fumbled one word on stage, instant spiral down into, you know, nothingness and, and the whole thing would collapse. Yeah. Nowadays, at least, uh, I will, I, a lot of the stuff I do now, I cheat and I just like I, I do a lot of reading which is I feel kind of bad about because my memorization skills aren't what they used to be but mm-hmm. like when I do memorize stuff and, and do it um, it doesn't have to be uh, 100% memorized perfectly sure. like I can improvise and 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 goof around a lot more mm-hmm. um, uh, but when I when I first write something out yeah I do I do really like to get super specific with wording and mm-hmm. um is that part fun to you? Because I know for me, I have like severe yes, OCD, yes. so it's very fun for me to like, nope, wrong word, wrong word. Just keep trying something new. Yeah, yeah, it's comforting, <laughs> you know. It's, if nothing else, you know, it's yeah, it's mathematical. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It is something OCD about it. It's poetic. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I like to. I don't know. Why not? Why not try to come up with some way of phrasing something that's unique or that that is strangely foul and also. <laughs> <laughs> and also pretty sounding at the same time, or or just weird. I, um, yeah, like the phrase, like there's a bit I do where I'm a cat. Speaking of cats, what's what's her name again? Lilu. Lilu. She's great. She's just just sitting right next to me, sort of basking in the nonsense. But uh, <laughs> she awake? No, kind of. That cat's um, passed out. That is funny. She is out cold. But. Uh, <laughs> Oh yeah, so I have a monologue where I'm a cat, basically, who's like interrogating um, a bunch of inanimate objects in the apartment he lives in, because he he is conducting an investigation into like where the heck his testicles went, basically. So it, and it's sort of like a few good men, but sort of thing. <laughs> but anyway, that has a lot of like really specifically, you know, he's railing against. Bob Barker and his campaign of testicular jihad <laughs> against the house pets of this country and stuff. So, like, little phrases like that, testicular jihad. It's like, oh, come on. Why not try to write something like that? That's fun to say. Absolutely. Makes, make, makes people think that, you know, take, make people have to take a second to process it. Uh-huh. You know, I like that. <laughs> um, I always like to make sure I ask people if they've never heard this album. I'm not going to ever say if you've never seen SNL because the likelihood is so low in America right. that that hasn't happened. But if you never heard that album, <clears throat> what's a good reason for somebody to listen to it? 
Um, well, you're getting a dose of comedy history. You know, you're hearing the first, again, like the original cast of SNL. You're hearing Richard Pryor on one of the tracks. Oh. Um, I think it was Dan Aykroyd and Richard Pryor. It's actually a very famous sketch uh, dealing with racism where it's like... Oh, maybe a, Chevy Chase. That or maybe it was Chevy Chase. Yeah. Where they're doing word association. Oh, my God. And oh, it gets it's... more and more racist back and forth yeah. where they're calling each other, you know... Uh-huh. Uh, Racist terms for, you know, Richard Pryor is being racist towards whites and mm-hmm. Je- uh, Jimmy Chase is being racist towards blacks. And just, it gets more and more heated and heated and heated. I don't know if they ever get to the N-word. They do. Chevy Chase says it. Yeah, he does. End. Yeah, so they, yeah. they literally go there towards the end of this bit. Yeah. And it's sort of like a famous social commentary piece of comedy. And, it's, and it is very there. funny, too. That's, that's amazing. And you can sense, you know, and Richard Pryor's not only a hilarious comedian, but he was a great actor, oh, too. And so they really phenomenal. tear into it at the end. But that yeah, that track and then the uh, the Smuckers Jam one are the two that really stick out in my mind. Oh, and then there's a, a famous uh, another famous sketch on there. The Deliverance. the dueling banjos yeah. from Deliverance. Yeah, they did a bit called Dueling Brandos, <laughs> and it was I think it was John Belushi and somebody else. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh huh. But so. And I can't picture, I don't, again, it was just audio, so I don't know what the audience was seeing on stage, but mm-hmm. you'd hear the ba- the banjo go, and then, and I, I can't do a Brando impression, but then like Tom Belushi would do a Brando impression. <laughs> That's amazing. Like, could have been a, you know, could have been a contender or whatever. And then, then you hear the banjo again, and then the other guy does his Brando impression, and they're just going back and forth, dueling Brando impressions. That's so good. It's funny, like, from a video show that somebody had to sit through and pick through the stuff that would work without video like that would have been a kind of a rough bit because a lot you know yeah you know they were taking full advantage of the fact that they had you know they would do those video pieces where there was a lot of silence Mm -hmm. you know so that's awesome i got it that's yeah that's true all those those pieces on that album are funny because of the words and the writing Mm -hmm. more than anything else yeah yeah well thank you so much for doing this and for coming out here oh my pleasure um where can people find you online uh andredubache.com spells like it sounds uh there's a, I guess Twitter is the main thing that I enjoy okay. doing on online. So it's at Dubouche. So it's at D-U-B-O-U-C-H-E-T. And from there, uh, all things Dubouche spring. So you can follow me. And I'm, I'm quite often really, really, really stu- I lose as many followers as I gain. <laughs> let's put it that way. I'm, yeah. I, the, my, my, I have no quality control. <laughs> I, it's just, it's just diarrhea verbal diarrhea you know whatever that's what but, it's meant uh, for really I, that's, that's my favorite thing is Twitter yeah. and when your new album comes out in the fall right you don't know yet I don't know yet It's I, I'm recording each track in a different venue that's awesome so it's gonna have you know probably a dozen or so that's crazy tracks I've already recorded maybe well I've, I've, I've already recorded maybe 15 things like, I, I don't know it probably won't all make it on there and uh, um, but yeah it, it so I need to do a couple more things. I'll probably be done recording everything by the end of May. And then it's a question. I don't know how long the whole, you know, it's going to be. Uh, I don't know how long it takes to get, get everything together and, you know, make the vinyl and, sure. and all that stuff. Oh, you're doing vinyl, too. I'm doing vinyls. Oh. It'll be, it'll be, uh, but each vinyl album will have like a code. Sure. You can download the whole digital version. So the digital version will be close to two hours long. That's the awesome. vinyl will only be whatever, whatever can fit on that. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, 
Well, we'll see how amazing it is. Again, I, I wouldn't I, listen to the whole thing straight through. <laughs> I love it. I'd listen to one thing a day. Please don't maybe. listen to all of my comments. That's the best endorsement you could have possibly given. That's amazing. Well, uh, before it comes out, if you want to come back, you're welcome. Uh, no sure. pressure. Um, but uh, thank you for being here. My and pleasure. Yeah. Everybody, thank you for listening. And as always, have a good thing. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. Please visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, read our blogs, read our tweets, watch our videos, and read our books. Please subscribe on iTunes, and if you like us, give us a five-star rating and a nice review. You can find us on Facebook.com slash Comedy on Vinyl, Twitter at Comedy on Vinyl, and find everything else at ComedyOnVinyl.com. done just fine on the Rorschach. Your papers are in good order. The file's fine. No difficulty with your motor skills. And I think you're probably pretty ready for this job. We got one more uh, kind of psychological test we always do here. It's just a word association. I'll uh, throw you out a few words. Uh, anything that comes to your mind, just throw it back at me, okay? Just kind of an arbitrary thing. Like if I said dog, you'd say... Tree. Tree. <laughs> Fast. Slow. Rain. Snow. White. Black. Bean. Pod. Negro. Whitey. Tar baby. What'd you say? Tar baby. Colored. Redneck. Jungle bunny. Peck of wood. Burrhead. Cracker. Spear chucker. White trash. Jungle bunny. Hunker. Spade. Hunker, hunker. Nigger. Dead hunky. I think you're qualified for this job. Uh, how about a starting salary of $5,000? Yo, mama. Uh, $7,500 a year. Your grandma. $15,000, Mr. Wilson. You'll be the highest paid janitor in America. Just don't, don't hurt me, please. Okay. Okay. You want me to start now? Oh, no, no, no. It's all right. I'll clean all this up. I'll take a couple of weeks off. You look tired.